Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities, from Kentucky Humanities, where we've been telling Kentucky stories for 45 years. Here is your host, Bill Goodman. Eli Capilouto came to Kentucky from Alabama to be president of the University of Kentucky in 2011. Under his leadership, the university continues the process of enriching a student's academic experience by investing in priorities that maintain affordability and access, support of the institution's faculty and staff, and revitalizing the living, learning, and research of facilities across the campus. The university is undergoing a significant physical transformation in its academic, research, residential, healthcare, and community spaces. Through partnerships, increased philanthropy, and careful financial management, UK is self-financing the vast majority of its more than $2 billion infrastructure development. There are many areas to talk with you about today, Dr. Capilouto. I'm not exactly sure where to begin other than to say uh, welcome and uh, thanks for taking time to uh, converse with us on the Think Humanities podcast. Thank you, Bill. It's always an honor to be with you. I know you um, you have a lot of valuable staff that uh, more than likely uh, assist you in, in planning your day and week and month, but it still seems like a, an awesome task that falls on your shoulders. How do you begin each day with so much uh, on your plate? Uh, you're right to recognize an incredible staff and support team. We have... Uh, many folks who we delegate lots of responsibility to. I have a good chief of staff who is a traffic policeman in a way that uh, uh, can um, determine what goes where at all hours of the day and night and what needs to get to me. But uh, I like to start my day early. Uh, we get, we get uh, four print newspapers still at home on campus. I like to go through those two national papers, two Kentucky papers. Um, I like that as time to begin my reflection on the day and and sort of what is happening in in both a, a local, state, national, international context that uh, would impact the University of Kentucky and and what I can learn to better serve. I know you're um, you're very fond of taking uh, campus walks. Uh, you do that a lot. Um, probably all through the day. Um, I know you walk on the campus uh, to appointments. Do you do your your walk for relaxation and meditation in the morning or in the evening? Uh, usually during the evening, and I'll confess that uh, in some ways I'm a fair-weather walker in that uh, when it's really cold, I'll get on a treadmill. But I uh, walk during the evening, uh, typically pick some podcasts to listen to. Uh, it's a time to reflect and you know, when the opportunity presents, and I certainly look for these, I'll stop and talk with students and staff. What would you say is the biggest challenge facing the university today? I think the biggest challenge facing all of higher education today is the extent that we can keep up with the acceleration of change. And, um, you know, that's driven by uh, technology, uh, a global economy, uh, a social uh, 
a market of ideas and things that uh, we might, might find useful today that help us do our work, that help us create and reinvent jobs uh, are going to be obsolete more quickly than in the past. So how do you prepare somebody uh, for a lifetime of change? And I think that's going to be our responsibility. That's going to be a significant problem. On top of that now, um, I am concerned about the shift in public opinion as it regards uh, education and higher education. If you look at public opinion survey and you separate it into groups who are, as the Pew Foundation did, who are Democrats or lean Democrat, Republicans or lean Republican, their views on higher education start to diverge in 2015. And in fact, before that time, uh, Democrats have a little more favorable view of higher education, but not that much. But both are in the positive, well above 50%. And then 2015, uh, the Democrat and those who lean Democrat uh, continued a slight upward trajectory in terms of their uh, positive feelings about higher education. Um, but Republicans uh, drop precipitously. They go from about 55, 56% down to the 30s, just in 2015, 16, and 17. The Gallup survey group uh, looked at both of those entities and asked another question. They asked, first of all, how do you feel about higher education? Similar results to Pew a divide depending on whether you're a Republican or a Democrat. But when you ask Republicans what are their top three reasons for being concerned about higher education, they're different than Democrats. The Republicans say um, sort of too liberal. Um, number two, not allowing students to think for themselves, pushing an agenda. And three, uh, concerns about the rele relevance of the education. Democrats have a different set of concerns. Their first one is we're too expensive. Uh, second is um, we, uh, we've got some poor leadership and we're too corporate. And then third, sort of similar to Republicans, concerned about our curriculum and whether we develop are developing good leaders. So when you start to lose that public support, and you see it reflected in legislation from the state level in funding. These are their revealed preferences in the face of many priorities. And at the federal level, you saw some of it in the uh, Tax Reform and Jobs Act, and you're now seeing it surface in the proposals to reauthorize, reauthorize the Higher Education Act. So, uh, you know, this is quite different from uh, the days of the GI Bill uh, and uh, the early higher education acts and the strong support you have for higher education. There are just many questions about our relevance and our value. So it's really um, maybe for the first time in a long time, it's politicizing higher education uh, to the degree that it's becoming uh, a real concern. Uh, I think that's fair. Uh, some people say... Um, especially when you look at the concerns um, 
beginning to surface more frequently about um, uh, free speech on college campuses. That tends to galvanize opinions. And that, you know, I went to school in the 1967. Free speech movement started on college campuses in 64. 66, 67, 68, yeah, the Vietnam uh, protest. And free speech was uh, something people felt very strongly about. In 1966, a candidate for governor of California, Ronald Reagan, runs and uh, criticizes the University of California Berkeley campus for inviting two uh, speakers, says we shouldn't lend uh, the prestige of our campus to them. One is Stokely Carmichael, the other one is Robert Kennedy. And uh, people say he, um, you know, fueled his successes railing against college campuses. The faculty at that time were fierce advocates of free speech. Anything should be able to be spoken and discussed on a college campus. You move forward 50 years. Recently, you have alt-light or alt-right speakers like Milo Yiannopoulos invited to the campus. Um, the faculty say, gee, we believe in robust debate, um, but we don't have any room for hate speech and harassment and they want to disinvite Milo Yiannopoulos. And who comes to the defense of free speech in that particular case? Uh, Donald Trump in the form of a tweet. Mm -hmm. So you, you've got this shifting landscape, and there are reasons for that. Um, but college campuses, as they were back then, today are becoming a political question, sometimes a political divide. I, I want to give full credit to um to this next line of thinking uh, to the, the news hour, the PBS news hour, and a discussion that took place just last night about uh, HBCUs, historical black colleges and universities, uh, a new documentary that aired uh, last night, uh, which is available now for everybody to see. But I thought the questions that uh, were asked of the producer of the film could also be applied to all of education, not just HBCUs. And uh, the, the questions, three of them, uh, were, one, what is the purpose of education? Two, who controls it? And I thought perhaps the most poignant question of the three, what is the relationship of education to the broader aspirations of people? So l let's talk about, about those in this uh, vein of, of questioning uh, sure. today. What's the purpose of education? I think, simply put, it's to prepare you for life, um, uh, to both make a living and make a life uh, for yourself, uh, your family, and your community. And to be a productive member of society, I think you need to have uh, certainly the technical skills or competencies associated with your particular vocation or career. To be successful in that world, you need to have those inter- and intrapersonal skills uh, that one uses, I think, outside of uh, one's career and work um, to sustain the, the vitality of communities and preserve our humanity. I think one needs to be able to critically think especially in this 
accelerated world we live in. Um, and I think we could do a better job in higher education. Uh, Gallup, again, did a survey and asked people what they thought about liberal arts. And they said uh, these were young high school students. And uh, some of the responses they categorized into three areas. Um, what is it? Uh, number two, uh, I'm not liberal. And number three, I don't like arts. <laughs> now, that's a challenge. Yeah. But I believe the liberal arts uh, with a augmentation of a, an experience while you're in college to practice everything you learn in the liberal arts can be a wonderful uh, curriculum uh, to prepare for meeting that purpose uh, that you need to find individually and collectively we need to find uh, in higher education. Well, you, um, you're a product of that. Um, if people know of your uh, career and your, your, your bio, uh, you were um, in research, uh, you were a health policy expert, um, you um, uh, studied medicine, um, yet I know you believe uh, fervently in uh, critical thinking, you just said that, in, in being able to read deeply, to converse uh, in today's world uh, with with all people, um, so that that is a challenge for young people who don't know the definition. Um, maybe we ought to call it something else. I know that um, that the humanities are a big part of that, and that's that's one of the uh, uh, the important parts of what we try to tell people is that. And I guess the question is, uh, they can coexist. the The world of science and technology can coexist with with critical thinking and, and deep learning, deep reading on a particular subject. You have to have those skills. Uh, I think they must. I think you touched on something that underlies these uh, changing uh, perspectives we see on uh, free speech. So over this 50 years that I mentioned earlier, uh, we became much more diverse. Uh, back in the 60s, uh, we were sort of 85% white. Now we're 40% of people of color. Um, we have more differences to work across. And I think, too, the humanities can serve you well um, as, as you uh, meet your responsibilities uh, to understand those who... Uh, share a different story than yours. Uh, I think the other part of uh, the shifting opinions on free speech involved uh, the science and research around uh, emotion and trauma. We certainly accept more so than we did 50 years ago post-traumatic stress amongst veterans. We understand it amongst uh, people who've been sexually assaulted. And, and there are other people that uh, experience that at different levels. So how, how do you uh, understand those? How do you bridge those? I think the humanities provides a wonderful foundation and roadmap 
that'll serve you well throughout life. The, the second question, um, first question, what is the purpose of education? Second question, who controls it? And not until we uh, are speaking today did I, did I think that m- I might have known uh, the correspondence uh, meaning behind the question, who controls it? It might very well be, is it a, um, a Democrat or a Republican? Uh, is it one administration versus another? Um, who controls it might be how much is allocated toward education or how much is not. Do you think that's what that that question means? Well, uh, the first place I'd go there is um, I think the first responsibility is met by faculty. Um, Certainly the things that I alluded to uh, regard funding and support for what we do. It's not just public support. It's what families are willing and able to pay today. We have to be cognizant of, of all those uh, groups that provide the financial support. Um, but, but I believe the first responsibility is our faculty. And I, and I'm, I, uh, I don't think that that responsibility uh, has been compromised. I also have to say that um, uh, our faculty are going to have an even greater responsibility to fully understand what the future holds for the students that come our way. I think we have an even deeper responsibility to better understand these diverse students who now come our way. We have a deeper responsibility to better understand their communities and their families. So I think, and we do a great job of this now, uh, but we need to be more intentional. We need to provide educational experiences outside of the classroom that prepare you for a career in life. Uh, we can teach these things, but you need to practice them. Just as a medical student practices treating patients, uh, I think we need to have experience that uh, are your practices for life. What do employers look for whether they be in the public and private sector, uh, they want you to have a skill set that involves uh, quantitative literacy, scientific literacy, and the ability to communicate both in written and oral form. They want to know if you can work as a team, a part of a team. So those kinds of experiences uh, we need to incorporate into our curriculum. And that third question what is the relationship of education to the broader aspirations of people? I could interpret that question a variety of ways. I'm going to assume um, what does society expect of us. And um, as our views across, I hate to use this word, but I believe... uh, the attention economy with social um, uh, networks and media are driving us to our tribes. We're starting to develop different views about what society expects of us. Mm-hmm. You know, um, uh, you, 
and, and I, I don't think these are mutually exclusive, but you see in the reauthorization of higher education at the federal level, you see it at the state level, uh, people want to uh, move more funds uh, to the competencies associated with uh, uh, technical work. And, uh, and I think that's appropriate given advanced manufacturing and those kinds of things. You know, the assembly line worker of 20 years ago couldn't make it in today's world. Um, but I think we also need to be investing in uh, our uh, creative uh, capacities that we're able to, you know, produce in a sophisticated way with our hands and most creatively and more creatively with our minds. So that's what I think society should expect for, for, of us. I think the other lessons of the last 10 or 20 years that maybe we didn't notice is um, everybody does need to hold personal responsibility and accountability, um, but our accountability to each other, uh, to me, has been raised. Uh, it, it is evident to me that this modernization, this technological leaps we've made in all, uh, our global economy, um, yeah, it may have provided uh, uh, optimal prices for goods and services in a way, um, but it moved so fast some people weren't prepared for it. And not that alone, but compounded by other issues, uh, people got left behind. So what kind of responsibility are we going to hold to one another? This is, um, put you on the spot here, maybe a little bit unfair, and I don't mean to be, uh, um, I don't mean to, to uh, put one college against another or one. Uh, they, 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 you it's know, a building they, they pay me to be put on the spot, so <laughs> don't feel bad about it. <laughs> of of all of the uh, the infrastructure and renovation and uh, and and campus wide uh, building that's going on to date, and you can include uh, the uh, the new baseball stadium if you want to. That's not complete yet. Um, what's your favorite and why? Uh, I. I, I couldn't pick a favorite, I, 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 and that's being entirely honest. I mean, uh, this weekend I had some friends visiting. They wanted to see some of our new buildings. You know, it's natural on a on a Saturday evening or Friday night when you take rainy. somebody in a building. It's rainy, yeah, and, right. they, and um, I'll tell you what I realized. That's one of the few times I walk into a building, you know, late on a Friday night that they're not alive. Yeah. So it reminds me of how much those buildings are to build community. Uh, some of our academic spaces, our dining spaces, our learning spaces um, in the residence halls uh, weren't built to bring people together. Um, you know, you went to class, there wasn't a place to really congregate after that. You walk into our College of Business, that four-store atrium, that place is alive, and all those study rooms which you know, have glass exteriors so you can see uh, people working together in those, you know, to me is the stark reminder of why we did it all. It was, first of all, so students could be more successful. Uh, and we believe that to do so, they needed to learn to uh, work together and be with these people who are different. And you got to have spaces 
that lend themselves to engagement. And so that's what the, the overall purpose of all the spaces, you know, to build community, to build family. So that, that's what makes it uh, difficult to just pick out one as it, a favorite. Explain to, um, to some um, uh, of our generation who might um, take issue with, uh, when we went to school, you had a, a dorm room uh, with two or, or more roommates. The bathroom was down the hall. Uh, if you had to study outside of your dorm room, you might have gone to the library or not. Um, explain to people why it's important that these, these new spaces are created uh, and, and they contribute to learning and, and to the socialization of what, what they're here at college for. Yeah, I think some of the things I mentioned uh, earlier uh, are, are demand that we compress a lot into this, uh, what we hope is no more than a four-year experience for a student. Uh, I think we have to be systematic and intentional in how we do that. Uh, one of the things we know that works that improves student success, for example, are living learning communities. Uh, we have well over a dozen, nearly two dozen. Uh, one example is engineering, which is a very tough curriculum and nationwide. Uh, uh, retention numbers are not what you like. Uh, we've improved ours. We reformed our curriculum, but we also have a living learning community where we have over 500 engineering freshmen who live in one residence hall. Um, mentoring, tutoring, classes, um, that sort of peer support uh, with facilities that support that kind of learning are what you're able to do, which you couldn't do before. Uh, so that, that's just uh, one example. And, you know, in today's world, we have very nice uh, residence halls, but we, and yes, they, they cost more, but they don't cost much more than uh, spaces that were just out of date. Uh, we went about this in the most economical way possible. We're very sensitive about price and what it means to families. And, you know, in that regard, the financial aid we provide has gone up uh, significantly over the last six years. Uh, you, um, I've heard you say this uh, a couple of times before. You, you want to uh, you want the community, and that's just not uh, the the Lexington community. You want the, the the citizens of the Commonwealth to really feel comfortable coming to the campus. You you have invited uh, the community um, to campus. Um, you want them to see what uh, is going on here. And I and I'm thinking of uh, uh, I haven't been inside the new student center, but I've seen the uh, the electronic uh, uh, the the rendering the. Uh, um, what am I trying to say? The the the, the video of the uh, of of what's going on. The there. simulation of simulation. what it's going to look yeah. like when when it's open. Wow, you want to share that with more than just? Of course, it's for the students and it's for faculty and it's for staff. And uh, but don't you want a lot of people to just to walk through and and be amazed at at, at what that facility is going to be like? Uh, we've said from the beginning this is um, not just. Uh, University of Kentucky space, we expect it to be community space. Uh, if we're going to teach our students about that real world, uh, that to the extent we can bring the real world to them, 
in that student center uh, and in other spaces on campus, then we will have better met our obligation. And I think people are going to say, gee, that's a place where I want to go have a cup of coffee or browse for a book or meet a friend. I'd have to say we have opened the cafeteria portion and uh, after a couple of meals there, I immediately purchased a meal plan, <laughs> you know, for for faculty and staff. That uh, doesn't come with your contract? No, it doesn't. It's <laughs> But, you know, for $5.50 a meal for uh, an incredible uh, buffet uh, with a variety of uh, very healthy foods, uh, you, you can't beat it. And what's great for me, it's what I always dreamed. You know, you have really nice spaces. You get more and more faculty start to show up. It certainly was built for students. But when I go in there now, I never walk out of there without having a conversation with three or more students that I wouldn't have had and, and without that space. And you know, that's the way the other faculty, I think, feel too. We're not that far away. You know where uh, our house is, our office. Um, that meal ticket sounds like a pretty good deal. Oh, yeah. Can anybody buy a meal ticket? Uh, oh, that's maybe I don't a know. question I shouldn't ask. Uh, you know, Can the public get a meal ticket? I, I'm not certain. <laughs> I, uh, I don't. Uh, I have a motto, and that is, "Don't refuse anybody." So, <laughs> so if we, if we, if you can't, we'll work on it. Well, you know what I was going to say. I, I, I'll tell them I know somebody that might be able to help me. Um, be sure to drop me, my name, but uh, I, I don't know how far it'll get you. Uh, last, uh, last question, last uh, conversation about just, just what, what do you like to do in your spare time? Uh, and, and you do have a little bit of that. I know it's not much, but I mean, do you, besides walking and, and doing a little exercise, uh, uh, how do you spend your, your quiet moments? Uh, I think uh, the best, and my wife, were, we were exchanging text messages uh, today. You know, it's, uh, uh, are you going to be able to be home tonight? Um, and do you want me to get something? It's beautiful weather. Do you want to grill something <laughs> out and all that? And yeah. I have to say, uh, gee, i got to make welcoming remarks. I've got to do something else. I'm not sure when I'll get there. Uh, and those nights become more and more precious, and it's just us, and um, we make our own meal. We live here at Maxwell Place. It's time to watch the news together and catch up on a good series that we may um, tape and those are very nice times and then I tell all the people uh, we work with and all it's important for us we don't we don't do it all that well but I really think that ancient notion of a Sabbath is important for people and that is any way that you can shut it down for an extended period of time, and I'm talking about a day on a weekend where you're not, and I never turn it off, but where I'm not looking at that phone and the text message, you know, if something happens, I need to know, so it's always on, but try to discipline yourself. I heard a specialist in this area, husband's a computer scientist, she studies uh, this this whole world of uh, social um, contacts through mm -hmm. digital means and she said in her family they have a technical sabbath friday nights you turn everything off you don't turn it back on till saturday night at sunset and she says you won't believe how 
creative and more creative you'll be on Sunday and Monday. And I, I think that's a good lesson. I just wish we could get everybody to do it all at the same time, then you wouldn't miss anything. Well, that's a, that's a good, uh, uh, I'm going to take away from this podcast several things, but, but that's, a, that's very important, and I hadn't thought to, to do that. Turn it off. Dr. Capilouto, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you, Bill, and thanks for what you do and what you mean uh, to our community and Commonwealth. Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities and is a production of the University of Kentucky College of Arts and Sciences. This podcast was created at the Media Depot. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Thank you.